to a meaningful marketplace. I'm Sarah Massoni from Oregon State University's Food Innovation Center, where I've helped countless dreamers launch their new food products. It's the science of taking a food delight from the kitchen to mass manufacturing and still keeping its great taste. That's what I do. I've been called the woman with the million-dollar palate, although I haven't tried to cash that check yet. Listen in weekly for real-life stories. Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce and author of Preservation Pantry, modern canning from root to top and stem to core. I love inspiring business owners to get started on their journeys, encouraging folks to be part of their local community, and I'm excited to help business owners tell their stories. Join us as we explore the journeys of women entrepreneurs in the food and beverage industry. Hello and welcome to Missoni and Marshall, the Meaningful Marketplace. We are here weekly to discuss the journeys of female food entrepreneurs. We're glad you've joined us here as we bring you stories of hope and inspiration. This is Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce. And Sarah Missoni of Oregon State University's Food Innovation Center. Hi, Sarah Missoni. How's your week going? Not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, I... I was um, hoping I would see you this weekend because I was at a cheese event. And just because I associate you with cheese, I figured you were going to be there. But <laughs> I kind of get an F on that. I didn't get a ticket. And then I was like, I'm trying to lower my cholesterol, to be honest. So I'm kind of avoiding cheese. Does that mean if somebody asks you to be a cheese judge, you're going to say no? No, because I spit it out. You don't really eat it. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> I just keep it in my mouth as long as humanly possible. And then I spit. Yeah. Well, I was at the wedge. It was the first time it's come back since um, the pandemic. You know, I've done it for a lot of years. Um, was it good? It was good. They they made some changes. Um, I guess, you know, a lot of the cheesemakers in the state are having problems keeping up with manufacturing because it kind of like slowed way down during the pandemic because cheese wasn't, you know, the fancy cheese that's made here wasn't necessarily an essential item. And then having, um, you know, lack of staff and stuff, they, the a lot of the cheesemakers were worried about running out of, you know, cheese, having enough cheese for the event because they do a lot of sampling. A lot of people are buying. Um, so they were trying to make them numbers smaller for that reason and then also just to not have a big um yeah I saw you had to be over 18 to attend this year you had to be over 21 oh over 21 sorry over 21 they haven't done that before um so yeah so it was much smaller but it was it was cool it was nice to see all the you know, cheese makers from around the state and um they they have a lot of wine makers there too and um it was at the building where they do the night market so nice yeah so i was there so was there time. enough people that they were upstairs too or just on the main down just below on the just on the main floor yeah okay. and that that's why that um event space is pretty nice because it can either be really big or it can be kind of like a micro and and they had some people outside like if people weren't comfortable having their booths inside they could be outside too so oh that's nice yeah yeah, so it was good. And then um, next weekend, the night market is coming back. So I'll be there again. And oh, then, I saw the ad. Yeah. And then two weeks after so that. So have is you carved your name in any of the polls, like in the building or something? Like, because <laughs> no. you're there so much. So you... No, but I should, because I'm really there a For lot. For a good hot sauce call. <laughs> I should just paint like a uh, mural behind this because I'm usually in the same H-O-T spot. Sauce. Yeah. 
can just make it my own little zone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dedicated to the one I love. Yeah, moving in, mm-hmm. <laughs> moving into the night market building. Yeah, have you have you been doing any events or mostly just sticking with the? FIC? Actually, I'm going to an event tomorrow at the or Wednesday the red. Um, uh, I should have wrote it down. Something's happening at the Red on Wednesday where people are coming to check us out. And it is called, what the heck is it it's called? called? It's called Local Link. Oh, yeah. Local Link. Doesn't yeah. make sense at all. That's probably why I can't remember it. <laughs> Local well, stink. Well, <laughs> you know, I'm, like, really? I'm going to be there. So I'll see you there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah. And so, and I think that is probably a ticketed event, but we'll tell people about it after we attend it. I think it's just supposed to connect for buyers. Yeah. Connect some buyers and some different types of buyers. So not just grocery store, but I think there's, yeah, it'll be uh, more like food service buyers for hotels and hospitals and prisons and stuff like that. Yeah. And we, I think um, we used to sell our sauce in some capacity to places like that. Some we did a little bit of school and, um, and restaurants, but after when the pandemic happened, all those places that we were connected with, we lost those connections. So that's why I'm going. So I'll have it. Oh, Cause you want to sell again. by the gallon, right? I sure do. It's very for easy the for barrel. me. <laughs> yeah. Just a gallon, just a gallon. <laughs> I'm going to be sharing some olive leaf tea that we developed uh, for a specialty crop block grant. That's part of La Creole orchards out of the Salem area. Oh, cool. That'll be fun. Well, I hope we're next to mm-hmm. each other. <laughs> if we're not, we should just move the tables around. Oh, we'll start adjusting the map. <laughs> They'll never know the difference. <laughs> well, um, we want to thank our sponsor for supporting both Sony and Marshall. Uh, thank you for helping us spread the word about small women entrepreneurs. Uh, let's hear a word from our sponsor, Market of Choice. Market of Choice is a proud sponsor of the Meaningful Marketplace because we believe in the power of local food entrepreneurs, so much so that we carry more than 7,000 locally made, raised, farmed, and harvested foods in our stores. Our passion is to help local makers, farmers, ranchers, and fisher folk realize their potential through programs that help them succeed. Thank you, Market of Choice. And we're excited to welcome our guest today. Yes, we, we are. We would like you to meet Dr. Reva Berwal. She is the owner of Savory's Therapeutic Foods, a crisp, dissolvable food made for people faced with chewing and swallowing challenges. Welcome, Reva. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, we're glad yeah. to have you. Yeah, I was uh, listening to Local Link. I'll see you guys there. Oh, perfect. Okay. I yeah. was thinking when I was um when I was organizing my show notes for today, I was um hoping that you were going to be there because I thought it would be a perfect event for you because I know there's going to be some people from hospitals and places like that. So I think your yeah. product is going to be it'll be a good place for you to connect with those people that you need. Um, we want our listeners to be able to connect with you on social media and the internet. So what's the best way for them to find you? Well, I'm on Twitter at Savories. I'm also Instagram at Savories, and I am on LinkedIn. So, if you're affiliated with um, companies that uh, deal with people with so- on soft diets, LinkedIn is a great resource, and it's really Rave a Bear Wall. Um, and um, you can find me there. So, 
Um, otherwise, it's straight old fashioned email. You can get me um, at our bear wallet savories.com. But yeah, we're, we're kind of uh, all over Facebook as well at savories. Perfect. And I think you might be our first official doctor on the show. So. I think so too. <laughs> yeah. Probably yeah. the most researched food we've talked about too. Yeah, for sure. And, but you also, so you are a doctor, but you also have gone to culinary school. So can you tell our listeners about your educational background? Yeah, I mean, I guess um, the first education was the life of hard knocks in the sense that I was born um, in India and uh, I had forced uh, delivery, which they don't do anymore, but back in the day that was common and they crushed my jaw. So I wasn't feeding and my parents didn't know why I wasn't feeding at all. Um so fast forward, moving to Canada and literally my entire childhood up to the age of 17 was in the dental chair or in the surgical suite trying to figure out how to grow a jaw and how to make me able to chew. And during that journey, uh, I learned how to be on a soft diet as a child after surgeries, etc. And I had a passion for food. So just trying to figure out how to make food enjoyable was something that I grew up with. Um, and so really I became a, what's called a prosthodontist, um, which is someone who's involved in oral reconstruction. I wanted to make changes in people's lives because the people that helped me um, imagine being a child and looking different than everyone else and chewing differently. Um, and that psychosocial element of eating became quite imprinted on my brain and how I wanted to create inclusivity through food choice. Mm -hmm. um, and we, we kind of see that with, um, you know, gluten-free options becoming so much more delicious than they were, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Um, this element of texture became very interesting to me, people who are forced to be on a soft diet, what can we do for them. So it really was this evolution of, um, of this passion for food, as well as science that stemmed from the first day I entered into this world. So it, it really is something that never went away, but went in and out of my life in phases. So um, I went to Cordon Bleu at 16 years of age. Um, just, you know, uh, it was kind of a crazy deal, but that started things. My family got scared. They're like, you need to be a doctor, which happens <laughs> a lot in Indian families. Um, so um, I did have a passion for dentistry, actually, through all of my um, exposure as a child. I mean, that was my life, essentially. And so um, I went to University of Toronto, and then I went to De Brule French Culinary School, which is in Vancouver, British Columbia, and really did a deep dive there and literally would do dentistry from seven in the morning till noon. And I had my knife bag and I'd hop on my bike and I would ride over to French, uh, the, the De Brule French Culinary School and work there till like nine at 9 p.m. Wow. Gain, gain a lot of weight. Right. <laughs> we're, we're like, despite that bike ride, you're consuming tons of butter. Um, but it was it was really, really, really fun. And um, and so then uh, I decided to specialize in helping people that were dealing with head and neck cancer and 
really trying to make massive differences in people's lives. So I moved to the States to study that and um, and then landed in Sarah Missoni's uh, front door. That's right. Problem. Well, you know what? The one thing I learned from all of those meetings that we had when you were in the development process was that we have uh, folks living a lot longer because of people like you who've innovated in the care needed for people to pass through these terrible cancer treatments that really degrade our bones and our jaws and our bodies when we have to take radiation or maybe some of the bone actually has to be removed because it deteriorated or something like that. It's really, really, really stressful. Yeah. For people. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's really amazing when I started to study this and I realized there's 25 million people in the U S today with difficulty swallowing. Mm-hmm. That's like 590 million worldwide. My neighbor can't even swallow. He can't even, he had he all of this. Yeah. He can't swallow at all. Yeah. It, it can lead to that. Like you can start with a swallowing issue. Sometimes even if you have reflux, you know, and how many people have reflux? Well, believe it or not, those people can have swallowing issues that stem from reflux. Believe it or not, you can have a UTI and, and develop a swallowing issue. Wow. Believe it or not, like people that have dementia or, um, you know, Alzheimer's, they almost all develop swallowing issues at some phase of their condition. And, you know, even little children have swallowing issues or texture sensitivities. Children with autism, they just kind of, avoid textures, they become sensitive. They call it hyposensory or hypersensory. Mm-hmm. Either they need a ton of spice in their diet and a lot of crunch, or they just want everything to be soft. And what that does is it creates a risk for malnutrition. Mm-hmm. So parents are are worried and and it's just amazing how soft diets are can affect someone throughout their lifespan. Mm-hmm. Um, So that's kind of some of the learning that I had was all of this quietness about the condition and how, you know, people don't want to admit they have a problem eating it. They think that's embarrassing. Exactly. And well, and I think it's if it's something that, um, you know, 20 million people is a lot of people to be experiencing that. And I but I think that um, you Mm -hmm. don't hear about it often. And I think I first um, saw you, I think Sarah had posted something about you, but it was right after my mom had had a stroke. And, you know, she was in the stroke unit and there was we would meet with the families like all together, you know, to do like some kind of group um, work and stuff. And there was a lot of people that were having swallowing issues on on that floor. Um, And it's you know, I think it's hard when as a family member who wants to be there to take care of that person, the first thing that you want to do is to feed them them. and bring them food. And, and, um, you know, sometimes it's just, it's just challenging. And I think it's, it's heartbreaking to see families go through that. And I think this is a really great solution to be able to bring someone something that they can enjoy. And when I um, was reading through your website, that was the thing that really stuck out to me was, um, you know, kind of bringing connection back to your body and to your experience and to just Mm -hmm. enjoyment through food. And I think that's really important for people that are experiencing these kinds of things. Yeah, absolutely. I, I kind of 
realize that when we say food to people with swallowing issues, the the what the image that comes to mind is baby food mm-hmm. that comes to their mind. They even call it baby food. And so when we think of food and we close our eyes and we think of food, chances are we've got foods on our plate that give us a full sensory enjoyment, like Mm -hmm. full sensory, five senses are engaged and that makes that food pleasurable. Mm -hmm. So we might eat with our eyes first, but next in, you know, there's the acoustic stimulation of a crunch. There's the, you know, that the texture stimulation and even touching our food. So your mom that had a stroke if she had difficulty with dexterity and they were trying to, the occupational therapist was trying to retrain how to hold a spoon, how to hold a fork, a knife that is, you know, learning how to eat with utensils. Well, believe it or not, if you touch your food with your hands, you actually eat more than eating with utensils. Mm. And yet, until savories, there was no food that was safe for people with stroke to eat with their fingers and put in their mouth. So it trains them how to eat, but then they also can safely swallow it. So Mm. it's like eating for nutrition, but enjoyment and exercise. Yeah, I think that's really wonderful. And I I mean, you know, they didn't even... you know, they didn't have anything like that at the hospital, but I wish that they had because, you know, everything kind of becomes that where it would be like, you know, my mom couldn't go home until she could do all these certain things. You know, she had to be able to do, you know, be able to feed herself and do all this stuff. But if they had something like that to practice, I mean, I feel like this food should be in every hospital that has a stroke unit or just anywhere that people are experiencing these swallowing issues. I'm sure it's not, it's not specifically for that case, but that's just what my experience in this realm was. Um, But I think it's like, that was the first thing that I thought is like, this needs to be in every hospital, <laughs> you know? Oh, well, maybe that know. link, you can come over to my booth. And you can <laughs> I'm going to send people your way. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was, um, I was so thrilled last week because legacy hospital system has decided to bring savories in and oh, thank you. I'm, so there's called, believe it or not, it's called the Rehab Institute of Oregon. So if you're from Kaiser, if you're from OHSU Hospital, or you know, you're from Legacy Hospital, if you need rehab, intensive rehab, like stroke patients, they are sent to Good Sam. And mm-hmm. they have a program there where it's just intensive work by all these therapists to actually advance their swallow, but yes. advance other things like their hand skills, like Sarah was mentioning. And so I'm in and congratulations. Yeah. Super excited. Um, There's also the, you know, bariatric surgery. um, That's another area that we're excited about exploring because they're put on thin liquids, Mm -hmm. then soft purees. And the timeframe is weeks to months, right? Mm -hmm. So they, they really are denied that texture for a long time for safety, but you know, I'm, I can share with you that we proved that if you have savories and therapy in hospital setting, we can advance people swallow than just doing therapy alone. So the power of food to Mm. actually do something therapeutic for someone. It motivates them. Mm -hmm. Yes. 
Well, it motivates them, but it's oral exercise. We're actually mm-hmm. training the tongue and the cheeks and the lips and the throat through a solid instead of using, you know, a spoon. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, that's game changing mm-hmm. for, for rehab. So excited to try that out at Legacy and see what happens. Sounds good. We're going to take a quick break and we will be back. And I'd like you to um, describe your product to our listeners. We'll be right back. Oregon State University's College of Agricultural Sciences and the Food Innovation Center are proud sponsors of Meaningful Marketplace. With a mission to serve all Oregonians, we are committed to giving voice to those whose food and agricultural stories are not always heard. By providing access and opportunity for a more diverse and just food system, because food brings people together. Okay, Rayla, tell us, what is the best-selling flavor and what are all of your flavors of your savories products? Well, um, I just launched the vegan cheese. So um, anyone who's tried it says it's their favorite flavor, but it just came out last week. Mm -hmm. Um, And the next one is popcorn and the next one is harvest chicken. But I'm... The, the pediatric line of crispy melts is funny because children like carrot. And I found adults didn't like the carrot crisp. So I got the carrot puree in other flavors, but mm-hmm. I eliminated the carrot crisp from the adult, but kept it in the pediatrics. Mm-hmm. Um, and the snap pea, we're doing a study at uh, um, Cornell University. And mm-hmm. funny enough, the snappy is a favorite there, but I'm not seeing it on my website. So I, it's kind <laughs> of interesting that, you know, it could be geographic. You know, I don't, I really think the U.S. has pockets. You know what? That's funny pockets. because one time I, when I was in New York in the spring, they were talking about the spring peas, like it was sanctimonious. So <laughs> yeah. maybe there's some kind of tie-in with peas, fresh well, spring peas or people or something also sometimes with the product it's like it's different when people are actually tasting it with than when they're just buying it without trying it so like on your website the people probably haven't tried it at all but in this study they're not making the decision to purchase it they are being given it and then deciding if they like it or not you know Mm -hmm. and so there's like kind of that that difference so sometimes it might be more about the packaging or the description on your website rather than um what it's made with or out of you know it's so true. It's so yeah. true. And the the hardest thing that I have is describing the texture because you can't compare it to anything. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, Sarah, if you want to talk about, you know, the work that we did, but it, it was really hard to get that texture. Yeah. Um, and the secret sauce that we used, the aquafaba, we could talk about that too, but. Um, hours and hours at the mixer, right? Yes. Yes. And Um, and I would say that you're absolutely right. Like a picture says a thousand words, but honestly with this thing, you know, when I go into hospitals or talk to people, they're scared to try it. They have neophobia because, you know, I'm, I'm like, you don't want to try. Right. But then Mm -hmm. they're used to dysphagia products tasting horrible. Mm -hmm. They have that preconceived notion that this is not going to be enjoyable. And then you have to encourage them to try it. And then they're like, Oh, and I, and I always have to say, don't chew, just put it in your mouth because what I want to happen with patients, which is you start chewing, even though it's safe to swallow without chewing, 
I want that for the exercise. I'm trying to prove to clinicians, you don't need to chew because they're so concerned about safety mm. and as rightfully so, right? <laughs> So it's an interesting observation of how people pick up a solid that mm-hmm. it's an it's an innate response to to grab it and start moving your jaws. So yeah, and it just melts in your mouth. Yeah, not in yes. your hands. <laughs> and so your product is a little bit different than than other guests that we have because I would um, guess that maybe you don't you're not typically trying to sell at a farmer's market or, um, you know, into maybe a grocery store, or maybe you are, I don't know. Where, where do you usually try to sell it to? Is it really just hospitals or um, through your website? Well, to be honest, I believe in this principle of hospital to home. So I would like to sell it into hospitals and into mm-hmm. facilities so that when they're discharged, they can continue to, you know, use the products that that were recommended by their providers. But um, senior living centers, huge memory care facilities, huge. Um, and honestly, the local link conversation about prisons, a lot of prisoners have no teeth. There are multiple missing teeth, pain in their mouth. And, you know, me as a dentist, this product is actually comfortable when you have dentures that are painful, you can actually eat a solid food. So there's so many applications that um, I would say my first go-to, as you said, were hospitals and long-term care, senior living rehab centers, that that is uh, that is really where it's so compelling, but it branches out from that into dentistry, into prison systems, into daycares for children, into the school system where children that have this is gluten free and um, vegan. So, like children that have food sensitivities and texture sensitivities can have a product that all the kids could enjoy. So there is that desire on my part to bring everyone to the table when you're a child so that you, you know, you feel included. It's nice. Yeah. I love that. Um, and you're, so you're based in Portland and you're kind of, um, starting here and, uh, do you have plans to grow to be nationwide where what's your, what's your idea? Yeah, I think um, I see this. So what's interesting, Sarah, is that uh, I've developed a new product category. Mm-hmm. So in doing so, there's a tremendous amount of responsibility to actually create safety and um, cre- like define it, define this crisp dissolvable food. Um, so I am doing that in the U.S. and I'm really focusing on U.S. markets um, I wouldn't even say I'm West Coast. I'm all over. And mm-hmm. believe it or not, the first pocket to really embrace this was South Carolina. Um, so it's really where the practitioners are that are truly um, interested in innovation and trying something new. Um, the next pit stop would be Canada. Um, and after that, Europe and Asia. So it's just looking at this as being a global issue and there's actually no solution globally for this yeah. uh, for texture. I think this is like the perfect example of like when I when I think about the Food Innovation Center and the work that gets done there, this is one of those things that I feel like is like 
groundbreaking and beautiful. And it's this thing that could only happen because you as a dentist had seen this problem and you knew um, with your background how to, that you knew what you wanted to create, but also because you had this culinary background, you cared about what it tastes like. And I think that that, those are two things that probably don't often match up. And then for you to find the Food Innovation Center and go there and be able to create this thing, it's it's like this groundbreaking you know, project. I love that kind of stuff. I, I get to hear a lot of the stories that happen just because everybody always thinks I work at the Food Innovation Center, but I just hang out with Sarah there. <laughs> Maybe then, we should give you a job. <laughs> but this I do, is the kind of thing I love. It's I like do want to like just happen. tell a little bit of a story. So Reva brought in a lot of people that had dysphagia during the process of figuring out what this product was. And we got to hear a lot of their testimonials about which foods saved them on their journey through recovery. And one of the ones that people talked about was Ensure. And so I was super excited when we were working on this, that we were actually going to have something that people could eat instead of Ensure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was big for me. And then it was also very interesting and fun to come up with the flavors that people liked. But thinking about it, I was wondering, should you be making one that's spicy? Um, Absolutely. So the harvest chicken has uh, capsicum in it. And um, it is so interesting because I thought it would just be too much for children. But if you have children... Uh, believe it or not, that just put food in their mouth solid and they swallow it because they need more stimulation from their food. Um, having that spice actually triggers the chew pattern. Yeah. And that's interesting, right? Because you would think, oh, that might be too spicy for kids, but kids come with very specific preferences sometimes and, and the adults love it too. So and I've heard MSG is important sometimes to stimulate people to eat. Is it true? I don't think we tried putting MSG in anything. No, I mean, yeah, glutamate could could definitely be something to include. Um, I, I I think that was a conversation at some point. We had I don't know maybe a thousand conversations. So, mm-hmm. um, but we but it it I can see that you know I'm trying to use yeasts right now to create flavor profiles and mm-hmm. enhance flavors because. The secret sauce is the aquafaba, right? So in using aquafaba, then it's kind of like, it doesn't have that much flavor in another. No. And so it's really that flavoring that you choose and, and looking at people that maybe are so disgusted and fatigued with sugar and you're trying to give them spice and savory, but maybe, you know, with, with a lot of conditions, as you get older, you lose your taste bud sensitivity. So mm-hmm. then override that, but then you're trying to kind of match with people's preferences and it might be peas. Like we were talking about in the, in the East coast, you know, that's a favorite flavor out there. And it's just, it's so interesting, honestly, to understand, um, how food is actually at the crossroads between nutrition and, you know, your past history and your culture and your, maybe even your beliefs or your religion or your, your comfort zone and how the two have to mesh. And that, Mm -hmm. that makes it hard to create a perfect, like there's never going to be a Holy grail of flavor, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's just always going to be that mix. Tell us about your production. So you've 
been in a couple different shared use kitchens. Where have you landed now? What are you doing for manufacturing? Yeah, so right now I'm in the old New Seasons Central Kitchen on the east side. So um, that's kind of where I've landed. It's great space because they have five ovens and the ability to do a slow process there. Um, this process is, it requires a long bake cycle. Um, so so that's kind of where I am right now. Um, we're hammering out a lot of different ideas. If if I do start to get into other hospital systems, really what we're looking at is how to scale the product, mm-hmm. um, maintain the integrity of the texture. So that it is, it is a brain teaser that I've been thinking of probably for seven years now. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's other large multinational food companies that honestly are thinking about the same thing. So mm. um, it is, it is going to, it's an, it's going to be an exciting journey to try and put it all together and grow mm-hmm. um, and go from handcrafted to more automation. Yeah. When I, I actually haven't really seen your packaging because I think the only time I saw you in person with your products, you just had it in some little bins. But I, I would imagine that when you think about your packaging, you have to think about a different a different buyer. I mean, a ho- somebody that's going to buy something for a hospital is going to be different than somebody who's going to buy something off a grocery sell- shelf. Did that come into play when you were thinking about packaging your product? Yeah, I'm talking to my packaging guy tomorrow. So um, <laughs> yeah, it's it honestly... Uh, for me, it was about go- going to market and not perfecting anything, just trying to get product market fit, mm-hmm. um, trying to understand the user experience. Mm-hmm. So I would say the packaging isn't where I want it to be right now. I mean, it is it is a sticker label that um, needs to change. But as far as what you said, categorically, you have your end user experience with packaging, and then you have food service experience with mm-hmm. packaging. And there's price points for both. And so with food service, you can actually do away with a lot of that graphic design mm-hmm. and you can make make it as simple as possible. So that is the impetus for the change now that I'm going more into facilities. And for the end user, really, I want it to be in retail pharmacy and hospitals. Mm-hmm. Imagine you discharge you're not only getting your drugs from the pharmacy, but you're going to pick up your savories um, and then go into retail pharmacy. So really that package, if I'd land on Amazon too, there's no other products in this category. So it's, it's not a heavily competitive market, mm-hmm. um, but, but I do want them to actually start to salivate, to actually look at that and go, oh my goodness. I can have a solid food. Mm-hmm. And so um, really it's about showing the inside of that crisp and mm-hmm. the foam architecture and the lightness and airiness of it and the vegetables in it and really trying to get them to be excited about this opportunity, a new possibility. So yeah, the branding and packaging is going to be different. Yeah, I would. It's interesting to think about. I've just we've never talked to anybody who has had um, 
something going into that world and and it would just it would need to describe a lot more probably and then um as far as when people are selling usually like bulk like it, then the packaging doesn't really matter i mean if you if i'm selling to like a restaurant or or something like that like they don't no one sees the label at all ever like it has to have all the right information on it for the for the restaurant to have like the ingredients and things but you know we just do like a sticker with the information so they have what they need but it doesn't even have to be branded towards us you know absolutely absolutely I was just going to use a color to describe the you know the flavor Mm -hmm. and then it goes on the ward and then they can just kind of pick that flavor but yeah that the the interesting thing is, is I started with reds and oranges because I thought, oh, it's a snack and Cheetos is red and orange and they're going to associate it with it. It's like bridging them back to what they loved. And the truth is, is healthcare is blue. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm trying to convince providers that this is a safe food that has integrity and, you know, a lot of backbone behind it then I need to use the blue. So then I was, it's, it's really in that packaging, you're trying to appeal to your caregiver and you're appealing to that end user and how to make it fun and exciting and plant-based and really kind of open that door as well as the healthcare door. So yeah, that is true. And, and you know, red is kind of a, a bad color to have in a hospital world. It's like, we're all the, and the biohazard and all of that stuff. And, and like, yeah, blue would be the way to go. And when I think about any kind of food that's kind of sold in the pharmacy area, it is that kind of like blue or green packaging. Mm-hmm. So, but it's just stuff that you don't normally think about, but you're in this whole cool realm that's going on. Yes. That's fun. Um, we want to talk about um, what a day in the life is like for you. So are you still doing dentistry or is are you just focusing on this project? Um, I took the leap and decided to focus on this in February. So um, yeah, I tried, I tapered down. I had a practice for 12 years. Uh, I taught at OHSU um, prior to that. Um, essentially, I've been a dentist for 30 years. Uh It's a long uh, time. That is a long time. (laughs) It is a long time. Some people don't know when to quit. And I kind of didn't want to be that person. I wanted to actually, I wouldn't say quit. I wanted to evolve. Um, I wanted to make sure my other interests were taken care of. And this just landed in my lap as I sat on the sofa and it just never went away. So, um, I was reluctant because I knew how daunting it was Um, and it took a lot of sacrifice. So if we talk about the day in the life of Reva, I don't think anyone would go, my God, I want to be Reva because it's really, (laughs) really not that great. Um, But um, the reward comes like yesterday, I got an email from a mom. She called her son is a warrior. He has had three open heart surgeries. Um, he's one years old right now and he's been on tube feeding um, and savories is the first thing he's been able to eat. Mm-hmm. So it's really kind of, she sent me pictures and she was so, so thrilled. And I just, you know, that to be honest, it's uh, like, I hope this becomes what we were discussing, like a big, multinational 
brand. Um, I really do want it to grow. And Sarah knows how hard I've tried. Um, and I'll keep trying. But it it isn't exactly like this sexy, like life of a food entrepreneur. It's mm-hmm. not like that. It's so. a lot of work. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm proud of you for doing it. I think you really created something that's important um, for people. And I think that you're going to change a lot of people's lives. So that one email that you got, I think you're going to get many. Um, So I'm glad that you're pursuing it and sticking with it and that you've created this thing because I think that it's it's beautiful and helpful. And I think it's a really great food business. Yeah, I think the main difference between what you're doing and a lot of food entrepreneurs are doing is that the foods that people create are ones that they serve in their home. Yeah. And this one didn't exist before. So you're adding a whole extra curveball into the equation where you actually had to come up with what is this food mm-hmm. first in your mind and then on the bench and then in manufacturing. So it's not just a chocolate chip cookie or mm-hmm. ketchup or something like that, that people have already paved the road for you. Yeah. I thank you for that. Um, it, I think it was just like saying, well, what is it that people want? And then coming to you and say, okay, now we have to make this. Cause this is what, this is what dietitians want and swallow therapists and people with swallowing issues. Now we mm-hmm. just have to make it. So it was really, it was really not, it was actually thinking of food differently, not how to make a different type of cookie or a different nutritional shake. It was like, what's missing because we don't know what's missing we mm-hmm. will know if we ask people yeah it's very innovative well and anytime I take any kind of class like small business class or whatever that's about um, figuring out your business and how to sell it to people it's always like what problem are you solving and so mm-hmm. you your whole thing is that you were solving a problem you know where other people have to be like well I'm solving the problem of people finding the perfect cookie or whatever it is. Like yours really is a problem that you have solved for people. And so I think that, um, you know, automatically you're just bringing that into people's world. And so now I think the biggest thing for you is just um, getting connected with those people that need it. Well, I think uh, one of the tricky parts is being able to make enough of it. So there's this give and take of production and being able to fill orders and stuff like that. And I think that's the biggest challenge because Rave has already proven that it's good and it tastes good and people like it. And it's just scaling it and making mm-hmm. more of it. Yeah. yeah. We just won a, a, a global award to because our research showed that it's as safe as puree on barium swallow. So it's like, you know, all of these proof points are my way of saying, okay, is it safe? Is it safe? Can I, can I give it, can I put my name behind this? And, and I needed that, mm-hmm. but to Sarah's point, now it's time to figure out how to make it without Rafe Barrowall making all the products herself and like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, piping uh, 12 hours a day, all this product onto sheet pans. So mm-hmm. that is really the next exercise. Cause then I can't go to large men like our large hospitals and say yeah for sure I can get that to you so <laughs> it kind of keeps me very tight-lipped about it and just only inviting facilities that I know that I can manage uh, their orders um, so the, the wheels are turning in the right direction though and I'm I'm hopeful that within the next year 
this kind of jump will happen and in a in a nice way fingers crossed well we always like to ask what you need from your community so what can we do to help you with your business oh well, at least you're not asking for a quote from Shakespeare or something like that. Like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> we just want to know what you need from people, from our listeners, from us, from your the people around you. Um, you know, to be honest, I would love to have an operational partnership. I would love to get to know co-packers that maybe have done meringues that maybe have knowledge in that space of um, CPG packaged goods and um, really understand the um, probably the software involved but everything involved in you know manufacturing operations um, I need that because I'm really good at the other aspects of it and sure I can be in the kitchen sure I can work you know there and do what's needed but if I look at my talents and my abilities it's it's really you know it would really be doing getting on the podium and speaking loud about the product to healthcare providers Mm -hmm. Uh, so if there's anyone out there that knows someone that is looking for their next thing and you know is interested in in that you know interested in something that started as a passion but has a mission uh, for growth then yeah that would be great nice perfect well i'm so glad that you had the time to talk to us today unfortunately Thank we you. have used up all of our minutes but it was great to chat with you and um i really i love what you're doing and i appreciate them your business and i think it's just wonderful and i i can't wait to see you grow me too thank you thank you both it was such an honor to be here and to speak with both of you um on this platform thanks Reva. We record Missoni and Marshall live every week. You can find us on your favorite podcast platform like iTunes and Stitcher. Thank you to our audio engineer, Lon, and our production assistant, Chelsea. If you want to be a guest on the show, send us a DM on our Instagram, Missoni and Marshall, and we will be back next week. Thanks for joining, everybody. Bye. Bye for now. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.